Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode four of Let's Talk TEFL. I'm Jackie, and joining me is... I'm Jen. Hi, Jackie. Hey, how are you doing today? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Um, We were just talking before we started recording that I am doing some training for the IELTS speaking test um, examiner starting tomorrow, or actually tonight and then tomorrow. So um, yeah, I'll let you guys know how that goes. It will be interesting. It's my first time doing something like that. So yeah, I'd really like to know how it goes. I, um, I've had quite a few friends who have done it in the past and it seemed like uh, very selective and quite a rigorous uh, application and training process, but um, well paid. Yes, for sure. I'm a little bit nervous. I have to do um, a test with like a real person who's actually doing the IELTS. <laughs> so I don't know. I hope it goes well. I feel like, but I have three yes. chances. So that gives me confidence that even if I, you know, do a terrible job, I get two more chances. So um, hope for the best. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Indeed. All I'm right. sure it'll be fine. But, um, do they give you feedback after each chance or do they just say, try again? Oh, interesting. I'm not sure about that, actually. But during the no. training, we do some practice sessions. Oh, okay. So I'm sure I'll get lots of feedback then. Hopefully. Yeah, I'm sure they want they want everybody to pass, obviously, that they select. So I think, um, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully yeah. it'll be good. We'll see. So what's up with you, Jen? I went... I went to traveling this past weekend. We oh, went yeah. to Sochi, which was uh, where the Winter Olympics were held at some point in the past. I think the not too distant past. But no, recently, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they never keep up with the Olympics. There wasn't so. like like 2014 or whatever, like p- plastered yeah. like, over the yeah. whole city. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a really nice town. It um, It's like a really long seaside town mm-hmm. because I guess everybody wants to live on the seaside. So uh, nothing is really inland. Mm-hmm. Everything's just like they just made it longer and longer and longer instead <laughs> of like wider. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> that sounds nice, though. That yeah. sounds like a fun time. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it was really nice. Uh, we had a, a big balcony. We were directly on the water. So it was like right below our balcony was the promenade and then the beach. Oh, so nice. yeah, it was really nice. And I got some stalker photos of old Russian men wearing like the European man bikini. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds horrifying. but. <laughs> Um, no it was great because it wasn't a sandy beach it was like a rocky beach like I don't know Europe is full of rocky beaches I guess Mm. and because not even the ocean it's the Black Sea Mm. and he was fully sprawled out no towel nothing (laughs) like I'm I'm hoping that I have some sort of uh, photo application that I can add like a police chalk line around his body because he was (laughs) Like starfished face down. And then when he rolled over, he had like chunks of gravels just stuck into his skin. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. That sounds so crazy. <laughs> but funny. But, um, 
it was definitely a highlight of the weekend for me. Nice. Well, on that exciting note, I think we should um, talk ESL warm-ups, Jen. So, yes, okay. um, and so we're going to start off with um, a few reasons, quick reasons why we want to use warm-ups in class. And then we'll share, I think we have six or seven of our favorite ESL warm-ups. So we'll give you kind of the quick run through on them. So uh, the number one reason why we want to use warm-ups is that students often will not have spoken a word of English since they were last in your class. <laughs> so I like to ease students into my class. Um, yeah, kind of get them to like, warm up their brains. And um, I don't like jumping right into the most important thing in the lesson in the first like 10 exactly. seconds because it's like deer in headlight kind of thing. They're like, what's going on? Like my yes. brain is not even thinking in English. All right. Exactly. Yeah. Especially um, for students who are taking English sort of against their will, which I think is, in a lot of places is the majority of students, either their parents have enrolled them or it's a required class. So they literally have not thought about English other than maybe doing their homework since the last time they were in class. And so they, you do need that sort of transition. Otherwise, it's like when you turn up to class and your teacher's like, right, take out a piece of paper. And you're like, oh, <laughs> I remember nothing. I don't even know the name of this class anymore. Where am I? <laughs> true. All right. So what's our second reason, Jen? It is a low stress beginning to class. Like I like to do something that uh, does not put a lot of pressure on the students to think of anything like beyond whatever vocabulary they might need. And even then I like to keep it pretty low key, you know, um, again, to reduce that deer in the headlight sort of feeling. I, I want them to remember like, oh yes, I do know these words. I can do this. It's kind mm -hmm. of the, the quick win, if you will. For the students. For sure, for sure. All right, our next one is dealing with late students. So this is yes. actually one of my pet peeves. Um, I'm almost never late. So it's like my students who are always late. I'm like, oh, get your get your stuff together and get to class on time. Yes. But um, I do not like jumping right into the most important thing right away because there's inevitably at least a few students who are late. And that just means starting over and distracting. But if my students are doing a little warm-up game or activity, um, it doesn't actually matter um, that much if students are late because they just won't do that activity, which is not actually yeah. the most important thing in the lesson. And then I exactly. can just, everybody will be in their seats ready to learn. And then I'll start, I'll start the most important thing. Yeah, I have to say that was one of the things that I did not like about teaching older students. When kids are late, chances are it's because their parents have too many activities stacked up for them or their parents were just running late, bringing them to class. You know, I, very rarely did I have students who were late because they were just, you know, screwing around with their friends outside. Whereas when I taught adults and they would come in, just stroll on in 10 minutes late, coffee cup in hand, I would just want to punch them in the face and <laughs> just be like, that is so rude. I never would have done that as a student myself. Like I would have had the decency if I was running late to at least not come in with a cup of coffee. Yeah, I know that was my experience teaching in universities, but I, I had to give like participation points in my class, which I think is kind of ridiculous. We can talk about that on a yes. future episode, but um, <laughs> um, I, I was forced to. So I made 
it was like two points per class or something like that. So if they were late, they got minus one. And that was, and I was like, if you have to run, run, <laughs> it's like just how yeah. it is. But unless it was like their previous class had ended late and then all yeah. of them were late, which I was like, sure, whatever. Like I didn't care. But if like everyone else made it on time and that one person was late, I was like, mm, something yeah. is not quite right here for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. And when I was teaching adults, you know, I understand you can't always, you know, leave work when you might want to, you know, especially like in Korea where, you know, your boss might be like, oh, it's time. You thought it was time to go home, but I think 20 minutes from now we'll start a meeting, you know? So I get that. But when students that I knew were full-time students, no job, like literally the only thing on their plate was to turn up to class on time. (laughs) And they couldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. That's that's a talk for another episode. Anyway, so yes. Um, indeed, so indeed. and so the next one we have is review. So review. I'm all about review. Yes. Um, students have to see things like so many times, or anyone learning a language has to see something so many times yes. before it actually sticks. So I love to ensure they can do it at home, but I love to help out my students by by yeah, doing it in class. So I'll often review something we had learned in the previous class um, as a warm-up in the next one. Yes, and I find that um, students will recognize something and get bored with it long before they've actually acquired it as something that they can produce. So the more that, um, you know, obviously you want to give some things for homework or whatever, but then also kind of um, cycle through and bring it up again and again in class in different ways, in different segments of the lesson, including warm-ups. And then they get exposed to it in a bunch of different ways. And hopefully, eventually, it'll seep into the back of their brain. For sure. Okay, Maybe so what's the next? Their... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, the next one is informal. <laughs> sorry <laughs> to cut you off. too long with our warm-up? <laughs> yeah, I feel, like, I feel like our warm-up is like dragging on. <laughs> I think our sorry. listeners are probably like, what's going on? I just want the activities. Anyway, sorry, sorry. We only have two okay, more, sorry. everybody, if that's the case. <laughs> Informal assessment. So you, if your warm-up is leading up to a new uh, lesson or some new information that's building on the old uh, information, you want to sort of see where they are. Have they, you know, really learned the previous information, or do you need to maybe evaluate your lesson plan on the fly and uh, maybe change it up a little bit if your students aren't ready for it? Or you can see that they've really got it down, and you can speed things up a bit. For sure. Okay. And then our final one is you can create interest or set the context for the lesson that will come. Um, So any language that I teach, I always try to give students some situations in which they can actually use the language. Um, Just so it's cemented together inside their brains. It's like, oh, this situation. Oh, I know the sentences or whatever I can use in this situation. Um, So, yeah, I sometimes will use the warm up to kind of generate interest in a certain set of vocabulary or um, help students activate their prior knowledge about a certain thing. Um, Yeah, it depends on the lesson. Sometimes it works better than others. So, um, yeah, so often I'll use the warm up for that. Yeah, but that is a a good use of the warm up time as well. For sure. Yeah. Maybe one of the best. I think that and review definitely are my two kind of like go-to things during the review. All right. It's time. Let's get into our, um, (laughs) we actually have six, top six ESL warm-up activities. So I have the first one. One of my favorites is just a minute. Um, So this is a speaking activity for higher level students. So 
I write up a bunch of topics on the board, like hobbies, sports, family, weekend, I don't know, just whatever, anything really. And then I put students into groups of four and I get one of the students to scrunch up a paper ball and throw it at the board. And then they hit a topic, say hobbies. And then the students will have numbered themselves one, two, three, four inside their groups. And all the number ones have to talk about hobbies for one minute without stopping. That's their challenge um, to see if they can do it. Um, it's no preparation time. It's just on, on the fly. And the other three students in their group have to listen. And then they have to ask one or two follow-up questions um, when that person is done speaking. So that keeps them engaged as well and gives them a reason to listen because they have to ask a follow-up question based on something that they heard. And then um, I repeat the process with number two, three, and four with a different topic. And yeah, it's fun. Yeah, Students like a, it. That's a really good activity. Uh, I like that one too. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And so I guess moving right along then, my first activity is flashcard 20 questions. So again, this could either be used for review or an informal assessment if you're introducing a couple of new things and you want to see if, if they know what they are, but I prefer to use it more for uh, review. And the 20 questions just works with um, each student is given a card and they don't show it to the other students and the students play 20 questions to kind of guess what it is. So you can do it with animals, you can do it with activities or you know anything that reasonably students could win it in a game of 20 questions. And then if you wanna have points or whatever, students can uh, collect the cards that they have collect, uh, correctly guessed or you know, get points or they can work in teams. However you wanna do it, if you want to add in a little element of uh, points or competition, but generally speaking, uh, especially with younger students, they generally like 20 questions. I really like that. I sometimes play 20 questions, but um, I maybe foolishly just let students pick anything. <laughs> And it's like sometimes they pick the most random thing that none of the right. other students know. And it's so dumb. <laughs> like I just I regret it every time it happens. <laughs> but using a flashcard that I just honestly had never thought of that. <laughs> I feel like I should have at this point in time. It, but it, um, it limits it, which I also like because, again, yeah, students will come up with really random stuff if, if they have no limits, which can be fun sometimes, especially if you have really, like I've taught really high level young students and that does make it a bit more fun, but especially with low level students, if they're, uh, if there's flashcards and then the students are right away sort of attuned to the fact that these words should all belong to the same category, mm. you know, either, you know, like I said, animals or daily routine activities or hobbies or whatever, you know, so that limits it and it makes it a little bit easier for them. Nice. All right. So our next one is the alphabet game. So I use this in two situations. One is to review vocabulary, maybe from a previous lesson, if it was a vocabulary focused one, or I use it if we're talking about something like hobbies or weather or sports or animals that I suspect students have maybe studied like 30 times before, which is often the case for those popular um, topics. Yes. So I want to help my students activate their prior knowledge. So I put students into pairs or groups of three, and then I have them write down the alphabet on a piece of paper, just like top to bottom. So like A, B, C, D. And then I give them um, a category, say like animals. 
and they have to try to think of one animal for each letter. So like cat, duck, fish, tiger, etc. And it's a, yeah. it's a really quick game. So it's only like one or two minutes, depending on the level. And then the team with the most, um, most animals at the end is the winner. And for each letter, you can only come up with one animal. Um, yeah. And if you want to do like make it a little bit more interesting for higher level students, and you have a small class, a large class, this is like way too crazy to do this. But in a small class, you can say, okay, if you have the same animal as another team, you don't get a point. So you have to like push yourself instead of saying dog, you could say like duck or dolphin or something like a little bit more, more interesting to, in order to get yes. the point. Yeah. I like to do that way. Uh, I like to sort of give extra credit, if you will, for uh, thinking of something a little less common or, you know, yeah, pushing themselves, but also the, the time factor. Uh, I might, if I've got a big screen, I'll put up like a stopwatch. And so they've got that uh, very clear ticking clock because otherwise there will always be students who are like, I'm still thinking, I'm still thinking. And you're like, well, we're going to be 12 <laughs> minutes into class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So what's your next one, Jen? My next one is Odd One Out. I love this game. So this is uh, like from Sesame Street, you know, one of these things is not like the other and you have four things and the students have to decide uh, which one doesn't fit. So I like to do this where it's ambiguous. So there might be two that you could argue are the odd one out depending on you know how you do it. So you might have like four animals with wings, but you know one is a bat, so it's a mammal, or you know one is an emu, so it doesn't fly. You know, um, so the kids can then, or sorry, the students can then um, like discuss and argue you know why they have the correct answer. I love it. Yeah, so I always it, I always require students to tell me why they chose the answer. Yeah. That just takes it for sure to the next level. Yeah. But I, I like to make them think a little bit as well. Yeah. You know? Definitely. And and you can do this like obviously there, you know, there's so many ways you can do it. But you know, um you could do some where like tomato is a fruit and then there's like three other fruits, but maybe one is a banana and you peel a banana mm. and the other ones don't have peel that you have to take off. Mm. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways that you can do it. And uh, it's good to see uh, how the students come up with their reasoning. I like it. I like that activity a lot. And yeah, I would use it at least a couple of times um, during the semester for sure. All right. So the next one is a conversation starter. So um, I, I went to this, Cotisol presentation years ago and someone was talking about like teaching speaking and she said she would just give her students a topic and tell them to talk to their partner like free talking time for five or ten minutes at the beginning of each class and my response was that's good for like higher level students but what about lower level yes. students who are struggling um, yeah. just talking for 10 minutes about like hobbies <laughs> I can't even like if someone told me to do that in Korean, I'd be like, um, I could probably say, yeah. what's your hobby? How often do you play? Right. Who do you play with? And then it would be done. <laughs> That's like yeah. literally like yeah. I couldn't come up with any more questions. Um, so 
I just, I just was like, oh, that's not that I ever did that, but I just was like, oh, that's kind of like not a pedagogically sound um, method for teaching. um, They would have to be both high level and Mm self-motivated, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure, you know, I have had students that I could say, yeah, you can talk about anything you want as long as it's in English. And they were uh, high level enough that they were fine with that. Uh, Mm. But that was not my average student. No. So the better way is that I love to give some conversation starters. Um, So for example, if we're talking about like hobbies, I'll use this as kind of a lead in or setting the context activity. And I'll give students like a little list of say five or 10 questions um, related to hobbies um, and tell them, okay, talk to your partner about it. And I encourage like follow-up questions a free-flowing conversation, but I always just make a point of saying, okay, these questions are for like emergency use. (laughs) Instead of not talking, choose a question from the sheet. But I said, try, just try, turn it over and see if you can just talk without it. But then if you need it, you have it and look on the sheet. And students seem to understand that they would get it, like they would make an attempt and then, um, yeah, then they would use a question from the sheet. And that way people were just talking in English the whole time. Nobody was just sitting in awkwardly in silence <laughs> with nothing to say. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, another way you could do this would be uh, like, for example, if the topic was hobbies, you could maybe have a, a list of hobbies for a pair to sort of go through and be like, you know, I've done this before, or this is my hobby, or, you know, I tried it, but I didn't think it was fun or something like that. And they can go through and they can just have some point of like common ground to begin with Mm, which if they're quite low level that's yeah like you said you know you would say you know what's your hobby how often do you do it but especially if you have students who really don't want to have a conversation in English they're so likely to just be like I don't have hobbies (laughs) I sleep. You know, Sleeping is my hobby. Yes, my hobby is sleep. <laughs> um, my hobby is watching TV, but computer there's games. no TV show that I like. Computer <laughs> games, but I can't name a single computer game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I like so that idea you too. just give them some, yeah, some common ground to start mm. with. All right. And then moving and, into, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, oh, no, just saying, moving oh. along into the oh, yes. final one of the warm-up activities, uh, ESL tic-tac-toe. Um, So everyone I think knows tic-tac-toe or knots and crosses, whatever you might call it. It's just a grid of nine um, spaces and you fill it in with X's and O's. Uh, But to make it more ESL friendly, you can add a language point. Hmm. So a very simple one would be, you know, put in, if you're studying like irregular past, you know, put in present tense verbs, one in each block, and then the student has to say the past tense, or they have to make a sentence using the past tense. Or if you're working on, you know, I don't know, like tag questions or something, they have to create a tag question using whatever keywords you've put in the block. And you can either do it where they can see and then choose like which block they want to use based on what they know they can do. Or you can flip it over, like you could have them taped to the board flipped over. And then um, they choose the block that they want, and then they have to flip it over and get a challenge. 
I like that a lot. I've never um, done that in my classes. I don't think that um, I, for a long time, I taught at a school where my maximum class size was six. So um, I was able to do a lot of activities like this with the whiteboard that um, maybe you would have to have an alternate way of doing it. Like, I think if I was doing it with a class with 20 or 30 students, I would just uh, Xerox off some starter like tic-tac-toe blocks that had all of the challenges just written in the blocks. And then there was no uh, like that part of the challenge uh, would be gone, but it would be more manageable for a large group. Yeah, I was thinking for like my university students, I would um, have just put them in pairs and then I would have, yeah, just like made up, say like on a sheet, like nine tic-tac-toe grids and then filled in, yeah. pre-filled in with the the words. Yeah. And then um, they could play like nine little tic-tac-toe challenges. And then maybe the winner would be the one who gets like the best of nine or whatever, or something like that. Um, yeah, I think yeah. would work really well. Yeah. All right. So any final thoughts on ESL warm-up activities, Jen? Um, well, I sure would like to know where I could get some great ideas. For... <laughs> <laughs> is, that a, is that a seamless segue? Yeah, that was um, really good. That was great. So um, <laughs> Jennifer and I actually wrote a couple books about ESL warm-up activities. So you can have a look on Amazon or Apple Books or the Google Play Store or wherever you like to buy books. And they are called um, 39 ESL Warm-Ups for Kids and 39 ESL warm-ups for adults. And then, um, yeah, or you can search for Jackie Bolin or, and, and uh, Jennifer Booker-Smith on Amazon, and then you'll find them super easily there. Yes. And I think most of the activities that we've mentioned are from that book, actually. Um, so yeah, if you like those, then there's whatever, 30... Three, 33 more. 33 more of them. Well, probably, probably 35 <laughs> or so more. We might have had a new one in here. I know. I didn't actually look at the book. I came up with the things I was going to talk about off the top of my head. So it's hard to say if they're in the book or not. I can't actually remember, but we'll see. All right, Jennifer. So if people want to find you online, where where can they find you? Um, well, my blog, which um, I should be updating in the next few days since I have something new to put in there. Um, yes. TeachTravelLearn.com. And also have a YouTube channel, Teach Travel Learn. And Jackie, I know people can find you in a number of places. Yes, that is true. Uh, such so, as? Um, you can find me, um, well, you can, well, first of all, you can find the podcast in, or eslactivity.org slash podcast. Um, and yeah, and then I'm also on YouTube. I've actually just um, started making some new YouTube videos. So you can just search for Jackie Bolin and find me there. And I'll also put the link on that eslactivity.org website. Maybe a good place to end. So thanks for listening, everyone. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review. Please give it a share. Please tell your friends. And um, yeah, we'll catch you next time, everyone. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye.